You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. I was to be on a television program in Boston and uh, last summer and with another woman who was an abductee. And we got to the station. It was one of those morning talk shows where you're usually sandwiched in between a, somebody who's written a cookbook and somebody with writing about divorces and then there's you with UFOs again. But at any rate, I never know who I'm going to be on with. And I walked in and somebody came over to me, one of the producers, and said, Dr. Carl Sagan's going to be on the program. And my heart sank. I felt I'd been ambushed. And uh, so I was quickly thinking, what am I going to do? Because I can't say anything against an authority, quote unquote, like Carl Sagan, because I know who's going to be believed. And at some point, I saw a man sitting over in the corner, a couple people who looked uh, rather thin and frail. And I forgotten what Carl Sagan looked like. And I thought, well, that's not Sagan. And then in a, in a moment, the man got up and came over to me and he, it was Carl Sagan. He's been ill and he really doesn't look well. And he said, he said, you're Bud Hopkins, aren't you? And I practically went through the floor because I thought I was the enemy. So he came over and he started talking and he said, he said, I read your book, which again, astonished me. He said, Bud, you really have to have better evidence. And he said, you know, uh, and this was the slogan, uh, extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. And I said, what we should be saying here is that an extraordinary phenomenon demands an extraordinary investigation. It is not, and use that line because that's the point. We have an extra, it isn't that an extraordinary phenomenon demands extraordinary evidence as if, okay, Buster, all that's going on, come over here and give us a piece of the captain's logbook and then we'll accept it. I said, Carl, if we had those pieces of things, we wouldn't need an investigation, would we? I said, we would have the answer. I said, it's, it's in the absence of more information that we have to continue looking into it. And I said, you know, Carl, I don't defend my generalship. I said, I'm not trying to be uh, George Washington. And I said, but I am trying to be Paul Revere. And I said, Paul Revere was an artist and uh, he just went around trying to get people to pay attention to this. And I said, you guys should be doing it, not me. In the 1980s and 90s, Bud Hopkins, John Mack, and David Jacobs pioneered a major change in the study of alien abductions. UFO researcher Robert Schaefer refers to them as the Troika. They claimed their research showed that aliens were able to snatch people at any time, from anywhere, and there was nothing we could do about it. The question this raised was, what were the aliens trying to accomplish? I'm Toby Ball. This is Strange Arrivals. Episode 10, The Secretary General. 
Now, essentially, my take on this whole thing is not that they are evil, malevolent, here to deliberately hurt us. I haven't a single case where I could say it looks as if they're just sort of demons, like a motorcycle gang to do the worst they possibly can do. There seems to be an objectivity about what they're doing. This is Hopkins speculating about the aliens' intentions. They're not our space brothers either, and they're not quote-unquote visitors. This is not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with something we do not understand. Let's call them UFO occupants, or let's call them what we want to, but let's not try to make them overly friendly, because they're not, and let's not try to make them overly malicious. Essentially, their attitude is one of a kind of condescension, and they're trying to keep people comfortable, and they're not very deeply, deeply, deeply interested but they have certain needs. We know that they seem to need genetic material that they're taking, sperm, ova. We know they're doing these uh, reproductive experiments and attempted hybridization and so forth. Too many cases have come to light, too many similar descriptions for this to be eliminated as a possibility. It is very central. Since the very first abduction stories, Alien interest in human reproduction has been a common theme. Think back to the needle plunged into Betty Hill's abdomen, or the wild sexual encounter between Antonio Villas-Boas and the beautiful red-haired alien who screamed like an animal as they coupled. But Hopkins, Mac, and Jacobs took the next step. Why were the aliens interested in human reproduction? Because they wanted to breed human-alien hybrids. And why would they want to do that? In 1999, David Jacobs wrote a book called The Threat, expanding on the hybrid theory. UFO researcher Robert Schaefer. Basically, you know, we are screwed is the message that Jacobs gives. There is this superior intelligence that is moving, you know, at will in our skies invisibly and is abducting us and sometimes doing terrible things to us, and we have absolutely no way to fight back, and we have absolutely no idea what their agenda is. The degree of paranoia in that book, it's amazing. This is David Jacobs from a 1998 lecture. He begins by talking about what abductees report seeing aboard alien crafts. Every time a person walks down a hallway, when they look at the various rooms that they're walking by on their way to the room that they're going into, what do they see in those rooms? Tables with FFDs on them. I mean, we are looking at a program that is built in every conceivable way for the idea of abducting people for that purpose. Well, the interesting thing is, is that when they abduct people, they abduct lots of people. Sure, they abduct them one at a time, and a small group, small objects, a single table. But we see them as well with, you know, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, 500 tables in a room with people on them in an assembly line fashion. Get them in, do it, get them out. Get more in, do it, get them out. Over and over again, and we think we are seeing this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, around the world. And here, Jacob's vision diverges from Hopkins and becomes very bleak. 
So I think that this is ultimately a program of integration into the society. The fact is, I think, that the answer to the Fermi paradox is answered by the UFO phenomenon. Where are they? They are here. And the answer to the other problem of how can they have colonized is, well, they probably are colonizing. This does appear to be an integration or a colonization program. John Mack, the third member of the Troika, also acknowledged that creating hybrids was an integral part of the abduction phenomenon. But he had a much more optimistic, spiritual take on these encounters. Mack was somewhat new agey. They're, help, they're here to help us evolve or something like that. Carol Rainey, a documentary filmmaker and the ex-wife of Bud Hopkins, also noted the difference in Mack's theory. He was definitely more interested in an extraterrestrial outreach program and something that would be a welcoming program for any beings who might approach the Earth. In his book, Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens, Mac describes eight types of experiences that humans have with aliens. Each type appears to be related to human growth or transformation. He then writes, The result of all these experiences for abductees is the discovery of a new and altered sense of their place in the cosmic design, one that is more modest, respectful, and harmonious in relation to the Earth and its living systems. Emotions of awe, respect for the mystery of nature, and a heightened sense of the sacredness of the natural world are experienced along with deep sadness about the apparent hopelessness of Earth's environmental crisis. So you have Jacobs and Max staking out opposing ideas about the aliens' intentions, with Hopkins somewhere in the middle. But the one thing they do all agree on is that the alien program of producing hybrids is real. Author Terry Matheson. The whole notion of harvesting and creating an alien hybrid offspring is scientifically preposterous. I mean, I've talked to scientists and they just laugh and they say that David Jacobs is a historian, Bud Hopkins was an abstract expressionist artist. They're not medical people, they're not scientists. No scientist would believe anything like this was even possible. And even if it were, uh, as Whitley Strieber even pointed out in one of his books, he said, we humans could do a much better job in a much shorter period of time. We could grab a few people at random and study them and find out exactly how their systems worked and how they reproduced and find out virtually all there was to know about us physically in a fraction of the time that these aliens are spending. They've been at it for over, what, <laughs> 50 years. How did we get to this moment where a guy like David Jacobs is claiming that incredible numbers of people are being abducted and we are being colonized as we speak by human-alien hybrids? What are the incentives to create these bombastic claims? I mean, the thing is, there's almost no money in working the UFO research field unless you're doing regular gigs like Stan did, Stan Friedman, who was a friend of mine. He knew how to market himself, and he got gigs all over the world, actually. He kept a modest income coming in. Bud didn't do that. The way he worked was to have a really strong concept 
in missing time. And then he was only interested in cases after that that broke new ground. Missing Time was his first book, published in 1981. In it, he presented the idea that there was a consistency among alien abduction claims that granted them legitimacy and provided a basic common narrative. Six years later, he published Intruders. The case in Intruders broke all sorts of new ground in terms of him claiming to have discovered patterns. I guess in that case, it would be the breeding pattern of abductees who would feel their eggs had been taken or their sperm had been harvested. And years later, they'll be taken aboard a craft and they will see what they believe are their children, half alien, half human. You know, it began to get so weird to me that I would push back even more on how that knowledge came to be. Carol and Bud contemplated writing a book together. It would be based on her science background and research into how cutting-edge technologies might illuminate the UFO phenomenon. We went to talk to a couple of editors at publishing houses. This must have been the early 2000s. They said, don't come back unless you have a brand new, never seen before idea for a UFO book. So the push is always for new, bigger, better, more outlandish. And I would say that Dave and Bud definitely delivered on that in each of their books. This same logic applied to the lecture circuit and UFO conferences where Hopkins would present cases. People don't want to come there and, you know, pay to hear the same thing they've heard before. He was wanting cases that would further develop the narrative, or, as he might say, cases that would illuminate it further. This search for new cases that would advance the field led Hopkins to a woman whose story he would promote as the most complex ever investigated. After the break... Strange Arrivals will return in a moment. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge 
indulges your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. The search for new, bigger, more outlandish cases reached its apex when Bud Hopkins was contacted by a woman he identified by the pseudonym Linda Cortile. She had come across Hopkins' book Intruders in a bookstore, and it resurfaced hidden memories that she herself had been abducted from her Manhattan apartment. The case was unveiled at the landmark Abduction Study Conference held at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. This was organized by the Troika, 1992. These guys believed that they finally had all their ducks in a row and had lined up all their proof and they had everything. Basically, they invited the world in. They invited journalists. They invited the different organizations. They even invited the skeptics. And this was where they first announced or debuted, if you will, their big case, their case to end all cases which was the levitated Linda case. Linda, as they were saying, Linda Cortile. She's a woman who lived in Manhattan near the Brooklyn Bridge, and supposedly the aliens abducted her outer window. From Carol Rainey's documentary in progress, here's Bud Hopkins on the Brooklyn Bridge describing what happened. I'm standing at exactly the spot where this very strange event was seen on, at 3 a.m., really, on November 30th, 1989. A woman is driving from Brooklyn to New York, right down here in the outer lanes. Her car engine died, the lights went out, and she looked over to this building, the one in the distance with a little pointed roof, and at that point, she saw a burst of light as a UFO hovering only a few feet above it, turned on all of its lights, Two small figures below her and one above her. Uh, The light was intense. The woman was terrified and thought, they must be making a movie. This is a film of some sort. And the figures floated up into the UFO, and then the UFO changed its lights, zoomed out across the river, and across the bridge it disappeared. And the woman's car lights and engine started back up again. But this is the way it started for her that night. This is just the beginning. You could easily do an entire series on this story, so I'll try to lay out the basics. There's plenty on the internet if you want a more complete picture. I'm not going to evaluate the claims, I just want to give a sense of how wild this story gets. The early morning event was apparently witnessed by about two dozen people whose cars had stalled on the Brooklyn Bridge. Among them were two men named Richard and Dan. Their last names have never been revealed. They were officers in the New York City Police Department, or possibly the Secret Service, or even the CIA. It's not entirely clear. Regardless, there was a third person in the car, an important diplomat. 
They were escorting him down to a heliport in lower Manhattan that night. And their car was stalled by the UFO's power train. A person whose name Bud didn't use was Perez de Cuellar, the Secretary of the United Nations at the time. This was the story's biggest bombshell. Linda Cortile's abduction was actually witnessed by Javier Perez de Cuellar, a Peruvian diplomat who was the Secretary General of the United Nations from 1982 to 1991. Later, Richard would tell Hopkins that he and Cuellar were also both actually abducted. Cuellar, not surprisingly, disputes this. In a note faxed to the PBS program Nova, which was doing an episode on Hopkins' abduction investigations, he wrote, I cannot but strongly deny the claim that I have had an abduction experience at any time. On several occasions, when questioned about the matter, I reiterated that these allegations were completely false, and I hope that this statement will definitely put an end to these unfounded rumors. Things got still stranger from there. Richard and Dan became obsessed with Linda. Twice, they kidnapped her off the streets of New York. The second time, Dan tried to drown her in the Atlantic Ocean and might have succeeded if Richard hadn't stopped him. Richard, you see, was in love with her. There's plenty more in this vein. Cuellar gave Cortile's son an antique diving helmet as a gift. Linda found out that her red blood cells, or some of them at least, were immortal. It's worth noting that Hopkins never met Richard or Dan, communicating with them only by phone or letter. But despite the sensational nature of this story, Hopkins apparently held back even stranger material that he thought might undermine Linda's credibility. There was so much cherry-picking that Bud did. Let's say Linda meeting with the Pope, and the Pope knew all about her story and abducted her in a... (laughs) in one of the Pope mobiles or a black car to take her down to wherever he was staying when he came to visit in, I guess, the early 90s. Bud did not include that story because it was pretty over the top that Linda Cortila was invited by the Pope to come be the ambassador to extraterrestrials and that she would have to live at the Vatican and leave New York City, blah, blah, blah. It's hard to imagine that Hopkins didn't harbor doubts about at least parts of this story. The fact that he withheld potentially embarrassing information seems to confirm this. It's the kind of incredible story that requires strong evidence if you want people to take it seriously. So why invest so much in Linda Cortile? He wanted so badly to prove what he believed to be happening. He wanted to prove that it was actually happening and that he had evidence. This general credulousness led to more high-profile embarrassments. A 2001 Time magazine article on John Mack featured the story of Donna Bassett, a Boston-based writer. She made up a multi-generational history of UFO interactions, sent it to Mack, and was brought in for hypnotic regression. She said that she faked a trance 
that Mac asked her leading questions that she answered to his satisfaction. From the Time Magazine article. Among other recollections, she told of an encounter with John F. Kennedy and Nikita Khrushchev on board a spaceship during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Bassett said Khrushchev was crying and that, I sat in his lap and I put my arms around his neck and I told him it would be okay. Hearing her tale, Mac became so excited that he leaned on the bed too heavily and it collapsed. Hopkins, too, fell prey to hoaxers. A man named Jim Mortarello claimed to have been admitted to an emergency room with injuries from a harrowing abduction. He also convinced Hopkins that a group of doctors in upstate New York were going to conduct a study of patients under their care who showed physical signs of abduction experiences. This was not true. Nor were any of his other claims, including that he'd been the marketing director for the Japanese electronics company Hitachi. In the end, his lies became too much for the board of advisors that in theory oversaw Hopkins' research. Four advisors resigned, and those that remained forced Hopkins to post a letter acknowledging Mortarello's deceptions. Of the Linda Cortile case, Schaefer says, Just obvious, made-up stories. It really had backfired on them in a big way. This story just grew so huge and so preposterous, and they basically had bet the store on this thing. From that point on, it was pretty hard for anyone to take the Troika too terribly seriously. The hoaxes that followed cemented this judgment. Carroll believes that Hopkins' refusal to allow oversight from the Board of Advisors was a critical component of his eventual loss of credibility. It's just that Bud had a very strong tool he might have used, which was the Intruders Foundation Advisory Board. And they could have prevented him from going so far into the weeds with the Linda Cortila case, with the Jim Mortallaro case. That board of advisors was an amazing group of very diverse people, but smart people. A medical writer, an engineer, someone in marketing, a musician, an astronomer. They were strong, smart people who had hoped that Bud was going to share what he learned about how to research this phenomenon. So there were people with a broad enough background that if he had allowed them to guide his research, it would have been so much better for everybody. But he would not permit any oversight of his cases. And of course, Dave Jacobs didn't either. Each of those two men worked entirely on their own. Occasionally, they would have someone come sit in on a session or two, but that wasn't necessarily the standard way they did things when that person was there watching. It's just a missed opportunity and a sadness because after a few other hoaxes came down the pike, the advisory committee just said, we can't support you going around and speaking at conferences about cases that we believe are not valid, that we believe are hoaxes. And we would like to have one or two of our advisory board members work with you on cases. Bud was only willing to give them access to the tapes, but he would take a trip to the museum while they listened to it. 
In 2011, Hopkins died from cancer. John Mack was struck and killed by a drunk driver in 2004 while he was in London to give a lecture. David Jacobs is still alive and apparently continuing abduction research. He did not respond to my requests for an interview. I asked Carol what Hopkins believed the aliens wanted from us. I found her answer very poignant, and it made me think of how Betty Andreasen framed her abduction narrative to reflect her personal beliefs. The beings who were coming to us either needed our resources, which, which Bud certainly believed were our humanist resources, our ability to be empathetic, our ability to love our children and to love other people in our lives and to take care of them. Bud was a humanist above all things. He really was. And that's the quality I loved in him. I think about Hopkins, an artist, looking at the way that technology was changing our world, making it into a colder, more dispassionate place, seemingly eroding the prominence of art and empathy, and our humanistic culture. It's not hard to envision his concept of the abduction phenomenon as a kind of metaphor for the fear that this new reality might have provoked in him. I don't believe that humans are being abducted by the thousands and used to create hybrids, but I do find this fear of the way our culture is changing very reasonable. With the Troika now largely out of the picture, What is the state of abduction research today? What does science tell us about the difference between the psychology of people prone to belief and people prone to skepticism? How should we evaluate extraordinary claims? Next time on the season finale of Strange Arrivals. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. This episode was written and hosted by Toby Ball and produced by Miranda Hawkins and Josh Thane, with executive producers Alex Williams, Matt Frederick, and Aaron Mankey. Betty Hill was portrayed by Gina Rakicki. Barney Hill was portrayed by Jason Williams. Special thanks to the Milne Special Collections and Archives at the University of New Hampshire, John Horrigan, WICH 1310 AM in Norwich, Connecticut, John White and David O'Leary, the executive producer of the History Channel's dramatic series, Project Blue Book. Learn more about the show over at GrimAndMild.com. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.